It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is all kicking off this morning, one side blaming the other for talking to the wrong people, the other side accusing them of working to undermine their credibility and leaking stories to the press. It's a story of broken promises, ultimatums and relationships gone sour. And that's just the wags at war, of course. We'll be talking about Rebecca Vardy uh, and Colleen Rooney a little bit later on. Meanwhile, back in the surreal world of politics, things aren't any smoother. Lib Dem leader Joe Swinson has been busy in Brussels having a picture taken with Michel Barnier and Guy Verhoeven. Hofstadt. David Sassoli, the new president of the European Parliament, has been having secret meetings with our speaker John Burko, and Boris Johnson is being called a traitor for attempting to keep Northern Ireland in the United Kingdom. Bizarre, isn't it? The Prime Minister was meeting with Irish Taoiseach Leo Varadkar around lunchtime today in a last-ditch attempt to salvage some kind of agreeable deal on the Irish border that the EU will find difficult but possible to agree to. That was in Michelle Barnier's words, of course. It's great, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, Parliament uh, is still prorogued until Monday for the Queen's speech. We'll be talking to Nick Dubois, former Tory MP, to get his view on it all. Coming up later on, we'll be asking why there isn't already a ban on eating food on public transport. Surely it has to be one of the worst ever things to do. And we'll be popping down to City Airport this morning to keep an eye on those crusty eco-planks who are still bothering everyone in London. Haven't they been run out of town yet by the cops? 0344 499 1000. And we'll hear from one of the Labour Party's donors who fears they're facing an existential threat that could finish them off under Jeremy Corbyn. I don't think I'd shed too many tears, to be honest. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. That song, Things Can Only Get Better, uh, may take you back uh, to those halcyon days of Tony Blair becoming uh, a very young and youthful Prime Minister back in 1997, uh, for in, in for about 13 years before uh, it all seemed to go wrong and the wheels all seemed to come off. Uh, I'm going to speak now to a man uh, who will remember that very well, I'm sure. John Mills, uh, entrepreneur, businessman, major Labour donor, uh, or should I say former major Labour no, donor. Still. You're, still, you're still a donor to the past. You've got a new book out uh, in which you su suggest that there's a sort of existential threat to Labour now from a variety uh, of different places. The book is called uh, Left Behind, Why Voters Deserted Social Democracy. We are in a very strange place right now, aren't we? We are. And uh, social democracy, which used to be the kind of governing party more or less everywhere in the Western world, mm. is in charge now in Spain and, and, and Portugal just about, yeah. but nowhere else. Mm. And why social democracy suddenly gone out of fashion and nobody's voting for it anymore? Well, in That's... this country, you wonder whether democracy's gone out of fashion because the people voted for something which still hasn't happened. Well, I think that's true. I think there's mm. a lot of disillusionment on that score as well. Yeah. And then uh, no uh, wage increases uh, for about a decade for most people. Uh, it's all been part of a mix which has produced a lot of disillusionment mm. and discontent. And what do you think is the major threat to the Labour Party that isn't necessarily a major threat to perhaps any other parties? Well, I think that... Uh, What's happened to the Labour Party is it has moved significantly to the left. Mm. And I think there is quite a big constituency for 
the sort of leftist policies that the Labour Party has adopted at the moment. But I think it's going to be hard for Labour to become a majority government with, on that platform. Mm. And if you look at the polls at the moment, where Labour's in the low 20s, uh, Labour needs to be up around 40, 45% to become a governing body again. And it's going to be a struggle to get there. Well, generally speaking, you'd, you would expect any Labour government, particularly under Theresa May's government, any Labour uh, opposition, rather, to be riding very high in the polls because Theresa May's government was woeful, quite frankly, and awful. And the fact that J Jeremy Corbyn couldn't seem to get above that government in the polls is it's a bad reflection on him, isn't it? Well, I think it, 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 it isn't very good reflection on the Labour Party at all. And my thesis really is that if the Labour Party is going to get back into being in control of government again, what it needs to be is a broader church than it is at the moment mm. and more social democratic. And that's the, uh, the problem because social democracy at the moment is, is in eclipse. And the question is, how do you get it back? And what would you describe as social democracy? I mean, how would you sort of outline maybe the three main sort of planks of that? Well, I think it's a sort of moderate left policy with some redistribution, mixed economy, um, trying to make the uh, free enterprise system that we've got work reasonably fairly and well. I mean, this is very much the policy that was pursued by leftist, moderate left to centre governments for a long period of time mm. after the war. Yeah. Uh, but I think the reason why it's gone wrong is because economic growth has been so slow. I think the whole redistributive uh, angle on it all hasn't worked very well either. But there's also a cultural gap which is very important, which has opened up. Do you think it's also something to do with the way society has changed as well? Because society has become less industrialised, if you like, and more kind of run by small businesses, which are the, by far the bulk of, of businesses now in this country. It's not so much the huge conglomerates or the big nationalised industries that are, you know, important employers in this country. It's the smaller businesses, which tend to be, you know, perhaps less slavishly um, aligned to one party or another. I think that's partly true. Mm. We're becoming more and more of a service economy and it's more difficult to get trade unionism into service organisations. But I think the biggest single change has been the deindustrialisation which has taken place, which has opened up an enormous gap between the prosperity of London and most of the rest of the country, which yeah. just hasn't got enough to sell to the rest of the world now. Right. And as a result of this, suffers from all sorts of deprivation. Mm. Well, that's what we mean. I suppose when you look at the way that Brexit has divided the political world, in effect, in this country, so it's no longer now just about, are you a Tory, are you a, are you a Labour voter? It's now about, are you a Remainer or are you a Lever? And so Labour is, is kind of struggling, I think, to hold on to that working-class vote, much of which, in certainly the northern parts of this country, uh, is voting to leave the European Union. Labour now saying they're a party of Remain. Well, I think that's right. And I think the big cleavage, really... Uh, in the countries between people have done well out of globalisation, which includes quite a lot of the kind of metropolitan elite where Labour leadership's drawn from. Mm. Uh, but you've got large swathes of the country in Wales and the Midlands and the North, which have done pretty badly out of globalisation, where there's a great deal of discontent, and that's where the Brexit vote came from. Yeah. And some of the um, changes that the Labour Party made when they were in government under Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, for example, you know, devolution, I think harmed them more than it did them any favours because more or less, you know, Scotland was more or less a Labour country, as was Wales. Um, and those both have now been lost, in a way, by the Labour Party. Well, it is interesting to see what's happened there. Because I think what, what's occurred is that a lot of the fuel for this, 
SNP, the Scottish Nationalist Party, has come from all the disillusionment that people have got about politics and about living standards. And in Scotland, it's gone to the SNP, whereas in England, it tended to go more towards Brexit mm. and leave. And right across, as I say, Wales and the Midlands and the North, you had this wave of voting for Brexit, which I think was the same sort of fundamental protest vote. Yeah. And do you think that that vote holds up in a general election? Because obviously Jeremy Corbyn at the moment, despite asking for one for many, many months, has now decided he doesn't want to have one yet. Uh, we may have one yet before the end of the year. But there are some sort of cephologists who would say, in a general election, those Labour heartlands will still vote Labour. Do you, do you think that's true? I think this is the really big $64,000 question yeah. as to whether that will happen or not. I think the Conservative government is banking on the fact that uh, they'll pull over large numbers of Labour voters uh, because of the leap stance that they've taken. Now, whether that's actually going to happen or not, I think remains to be seen. I think there's a lot of antipathy to the Conservative Party uh, in Wales and the Midlands and the North, which may stop that occurring. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people who think that we are in line for a total realignment, really, of politics in this country and that we will no longer be looking at a Tory government or a Labour government and we may end up, like many European countries, having sort of coalitions for years to come. Well, I think that's possible because I think it's very difficult to see uh, unless the Conservative uh, strategy works out, which I think it may not, how we're going to not finish up with a parliament where you've got the as it were, the opposition split between Labour and the Lib Dems. On the right of the centre, you may well have the Conservatives, plus the uh, maybe the Brexit party, and you finish up with nobody having a majority, and it being very difficult to see how yeah. coalitions that are stable are going to be formed out of any of the parties that are in Parliament. And you're still, um, uh, as you say, a donor to the Labour Party. You're still a very successful businessman. I mean, are there any circumstances under which you could see yourself not any longer being a donor to the Labour Party? Well, I've been a Labour Party supporter all my life. I'm a kind of a tribal Labour supporter, really. And there are not many of you left. Uh, no, there are. <laughs> no, I don't think we're as few as all that. Uh, but I'd like uh, to work within the Labour Party to try and uh, pull it back to what I see as, as probably the most uh, fruitful way ahead, which mm. is to get better at running the economy, you know, better at getting redistribution going, particularly the, about rebalancing the economy between London and the regions, and also changing the culture a bit. I mean, I think one of the problems the Labour Party's had is the gulfs opened up between the sort of middle-class people who vote Labour uh, who, n many of them done pretty well, and more working-class supporters who've done uh, much worse. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to Labour MPs who basically say we are no longer the party of the working man. We are now the party of the sort of intellectual Marxist types who have been uh, very successful in life. Most of them have been to university. Many of them are Guardian readers. Some of them even used to work for the Guardian. Um, and it's a completely different view of the world from, from those perspectives, isn't it? I think it is. I mean, the Labour Party's always been successful when it's married together this sort of middle-class idea realistic vote and the sort of more practical working class vote. I think the danger the Labour Party is running into now is it's piling up votes in places like London with the middle class support that it's got, but it's in danger of losing the working class support in these other regions of the country. And you, Labour needs both to get back into power. So would you re recommend to them, if you were asked, that they should not announce themselves as the party of Remain? Well, I, I understand where Jeremy Corbyn's come on all this, being reluctant to become too much of a Remain party. And the reason for this is, and I think the danger is, that, you, that Labour just piles up votes in, in the metropolitan areas where there's very strong mm. sentiment for Remain, but leaves behind 
the people in the north and, and the Midlands and Wales who've got to be drawn along too if Labour's going to win uh, power. Yeah, but it can't appeal to both, apparently, because it can't be remain in London and Liverpool and then leave in Sunderland, can it? Well, I, I think that uh, to some extent what Jeremy Corbyn's trying to do is to hark back to what Harold Wilson did in 1975 when the last referendum took place on EU membership when uh, Harold Wilson allowed both cabinet members and everybody else in the Labour Party to vote whichever way they wanted and to mm. campaign each way without the party splitting. I think that what's happened now is that uh, the Labour Party is trying to corral everybody into the Remain camp and that, I think, is a bit of a dangerous strategy. Mm. Do you see Jeremy Corbyn surviving? Uh, well, I, I, I think he's, the position of the Labour leader is pretty strong. Um, so I, I think the chances of uh, there being a kind of revolution... Uh, against Jeremy Corbyn is pretty low. Mm. Uh, whether the inflection of time will get a uh, change in place, I think, is, is, is more probable sooner or later. But it is a party which is kind of riven, isn't it? Because you've got the Tom Watson side of things, and in a way, Keir Starmer kind of falls more, I suppose, naturally with him. Uh, and then you've got Jeremy Corbyn in momentum. And never the twain shall meet, it would seem. Well, I'm not sure that the, the divisions are... As a, well, I think there are very substantial divisions, yes, I agree with you. Um, I don't think they're necessarily terminal because the Labour Party's always been quite a broad church. Uh, but I think what you have got is that a majority of uh, MPs in the House of Commons who are pretty well social democrats, whereas the bulk of the Labour Party membership is more democratic mm. socialists, yeah. further left, more in favour of uh, public ownership, more in favour of taxing the rich, more in fact of, uh, of uh, sort of broadening out the control of the economy. And, and there is a tension there. There is, certainly. Now, your book is out, I think, already as of yesterday, Left Behind, Why Voters Deserted Social Democracy and How to Win Them Back, uh, published today, is it? Or yeah, yesterday, They're rather? published yesterday. By Civitas. Is it available in yes. all the usual places? Uh, I hope so. Have you sent Jeremy a free copy? Uh, I think he is getting one, yes. Is he? Because he might want to read it and find yes. out how to get the voters back. Yeah, hopefully. That's a good idea. John, thank you very much indeed. John Mills there. Uh, still a successful businessman. Still, Are you pro-Brexit, by the way? Yes, I've, been, uh, I've been, always been uh, in favour of... Uh, Leaving, although I must say I'm, I'm not very happy about the terms in which mm. it looks it's likely to happen Well, now. if you find out what they are, you can let us know. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> John Mills, the book is called uh, Why Voters Deserted Social Democracy and How to Win Them Back. Can Jeremy Corwin do that? Will he ever say yes to an election?
the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Rebel, rebel, you torn your dress. Rebel, rebel, your face is a mess. Rebel, rebel, how could they know? Hot tramp, I love you so. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm delighted to tell you that I'm now being reunited with an old mate of mine, Mr. Donald Cameron McLeod of the Clan McLeod. Welcome. Hello there. Hello and welcome. The rebel, rebel welcome to London. Now, I'm going to kick off with a great tweet that I've got here from a comic who's called Mark Nelson. He says, what is it like to be Scottish? We're about to be eliminated from the Rugby World Cup by our oldest ally, the rain. Because <laughs> you know this typhoon yeah. is coming, right? And they're going to cancel the game, which means Scotland won't have a chance to qualify. But it's called Haggis Barra. It is called that, yeah. yeah, it's got sorry, a remarkably yeah. similar sounding name to Haggis. But it's quite good because it means that we can withdraw gracefully yes. and say we could have won it. Because, of course, um, <laughs> with the now expanded uh, Euros, expanded which, Japanese, expanded Euros and expanded World Cup, Scotland is still not qualified, despite but the fact the that the thing you know, is, we could have qualified, yes. if it wasn't for the Haggis Barry. The, the Haggis Barry rain. Now, you've just come down from, from Glasgow, where you own um, a number of uh, very, very famous hostelries and uh, clubs, notably <laughs> the Garage. I mean, everyone that I know who's ever been to Glasgow has been at the Garage. The Garage is better. And you've still got, have you not, the, you have you still got the tunnel? No, no, I got rid of that. You've still got sadly. The, the cat house, though. Yeah, I've got the cat house. That's the longest running in rock club, I think, in the world. Yes, really and in fact, ball. was somebody famous not there recently? Yes, uh, yes, that well-known rock heavy metaler, Louis Capaldi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was he doing at the cat house? Did he take a wrong oh, turn? I loved it. No, no, no. He, he, he tweeted that. That's great. Right. He actually knew some of the songs. And great publicity. Now, I should them. also tell people, you've had quite a checkered uh, sort of history in the terms of the, the music business. I mean, you've now, you're now a bit of a manager as well, but you put Oasis on at Loch Lomond. Yes, that was a um, long, long time ago. Which was a long time ago. Yeah. You used to put on um, Marilyn Manson. I yeah, still recall. do them. You still, still do there's them, lots yeah. of stories that you can't tell on the radio. Yeah, about too many. Um, and what about uh, this new act that you've got that you're doing? Well, now? I manage a young lady called Stephanie Cheap who's yep. uh, starting to make waves up in Scotland. I was going to suggest she might want to come down. I was going to suggest you might want to come down and go on James Well show, but we're yes. having a bit of a feud at the moment, so it depends Why? on how that goes. Well, well you and James. Yeah, just a little bit. Oh, that's a shame. Nothing important. But, you know, then just ignore James and speak to Ash. Yeah, well, that's He's what I'm doing. He's the main man of the he show. He is. He, he absolutely <laughs> is. Now, you came down on the train yesterday. How did that go? <laughs> What a so journey! Well what a journey! Yes, yeah. Is I'm there anything to... that anybody in Britain can do anymore? I don't think there is. Well, they did it well. That in L N E R, whatever they call oh, yeah. them, they did it very well. They, right. they delayed the train because, first of all, the one in front had went in fire. Okay. So we went down the Durham coast. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. Right. Then they delayed it again right. because somebody unfortunately got run over by a train. Um, got squished. Well, this is another you, different train. This was another train in right. front of us had managed to take somebody out. Right. So, you know, that was pretty sad. Right. And then the third one, but the best one of all, an escaped handcuffed prisoner running across the lines, dragging a policeman behind him. <laughs> <laughs> You're not catching me! Are they not supposed, to, not are they not supposed to protect the railways from that kind of thing? Well, maybe the guy was just trying to get his handcuffs yeah. off by putting the, throwing the policeman oh, yeah, in front of the line. That movie. So how late were you then getting <laughs> oh, into London? Two hours. But, just you know, the two hours. So are you going to Very are you good. Gonna... I must admit, the staff were absolutely fantastic. Are you going to apply for a refund, though? 
Of course. Because that's very difficult yes. to do. They make it as hard as they possibly well, can. Well, no, the guy in the, that's why we quite like this uh, train company, because they turned around and told us we could, because we're well over the standard uh, half yes. an hour, so we can get claim for the full amount. Oh, God. So, so yeah. Well, all right, so let's talk about Scotland, because uh, I used to live up there. That's how we met. Uh-huh. You're still writing a column for the Sunday Post. Yes, I yes. I saw that uh, last weekend you were writing about the new law that pr- that makes everybody a criminal who, who slaps smacks their children's their hand. Children. Yeah, it's terrible. I, well, I, I mean, we were brought up in a different yeah. era, you know, getting, as I said in the in the article, we were getting slapped. You were getting the belt. I get head-butted by a teacher. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I'm the music teacher of all people. That's ridiculous. Boosh, bang. Right. But, uh, That's yeah, Glasgow for you. Well, they're bringing in laws, being the first of everything up in Scotland. It wasn't just Glasgow. Right. <laughs> this was happening all over. <laughs> but uh, something, I think, it's went too far. Yeah. You know, um, well, my, I'm, I'm talking to a few people up there, and they say that, look, nobody outside of the politicians actually wanted this law brought in. Because I heard yeah. somebody being interviewed and being asked, look, at what point is it a criminal offence? If you slap your son or daughter's hand, you know, is that make, does well, that yeah, make that, you a criminal? That's going to be, you could potentially be criminalised, but it, it, puts, it puts the kids up for blackmail, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, well, if, fortunately say, if you don't are, give me this, Dad, I'm yeah. going to say... Well, fortunately, your kids are old enough now me. that you don't want to whack them because they might No, no, you they're old enough now that you really, really want to do... <laughs> Whack them head, but then stick the boot in, you know, right. uh, and stop them being extinction rebellion characters. Well, well yeah, how like, are they know? about that? Because I, oh. you know, my daughter Emma, um, who is relatively sensible most of the time, mm. she doesn't like it when I get stuck into the extinction rebellion types. I would say that one of my t- children is uh, very much on their side. Is she? And she doesn't uh, I'm an old fogey that knows nothing. Of course you and, do. Yes, and you don't care about the planet either. Oh, do I don't care about the planet. Well, you drive around you know, in very know. big cars. Yes, I do. Yes, yes, belching gas fumes yep. everywhere. It's a shocking state of affairs. I know, it's terrible. But by the way, before you go on, I've got you a lovely present here. I brought it over from... That's very nice of I you. I drove 100 miles out my way in Did Portugal you? to get this bottle of wow. wine, only to be told they'd none left and no. to come back two weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> I says it's Portugal. <laughs> well, I have but to I say, did actually go back two weeks later. So here is a lovely bottle of Estremoz. That's Estremoz, very kind of It's one of the top wines you can get. I have to there say, I can now uh, reveal that you were the person that recommended um, probably the most expensive place I've ever stayed in my life uh, <laughs> over in Portugal. Yeah, where yeah. I took the it wasn't kids. the Airbnb, was it? Uh, no. It certainly was not. And I mean, you know, we don't mind spending a bit of money, but we were slightly <laughs> taken aback by the price of the buffet. Yeah, I we did a lot a, of the self cheese toasty. We did a lot of the self catering option on that one, but yeah, it was very, very beautiful good. place. Lovely Tell place. us about the SNP though, because you famously came out, mm. and you and I have had plenty of rows about this. Oh, plenty of Scottish, good rows, good Scottish, Scottish independence. Now, have you worked out yet that it's a really bad idea? No, it's not a bad idea. Independence. I think Britain is broken. I really think it's fallen away. Um, I don't think it'll ever come back again. But personally speaking, I think the SNP are making a hash of it as well. Yeah, they really are because they don't seem to do anything now the SNP apart from just launch lawsuits against the well, Prime Minister I mean, up in the Edinburgh High Court. I was, I was on a TV recently talking about that and I just think, hold on here, this is not why I voted you guys into power. Yeah. I voted you guys in to, you know, get the mandate for independence mm. and self-governance, whether we like that or not, but not to go to court every time, you know, something goes wrong. Because you on. can't, that's not going to work, is I it? I mean, it's quite, who's paying for it? And, and I just, I think the SNP should withdraw from Parliament. Yeah. Just 
they don't want to be. Why, they don't, should, they we, keep saying, why should we be there? Just, well, they, well, we they keep saying move. they don't. They should. Re, they should withdraw from Westminster altogether. Yep. They just keep saying that they, you know, they want to remain in the European Union. They keep saying that Scotland voted to remain. Yeah. Uh, but in fact, it didn't. You know, see how sixty percent of well, people. Well, sixty-eight percent voted in the referendum to. I think it's sixty-eight percent to remain in the EU. Um, I wasn't one of them. There was about a good million people out up there that didn't. But that's not the point. The point is you should respect the result. I really believe that of any yeah. democratic election. I think we all do in here and we all do most of Well, we do. Ways. And that's not what's happening. And, and also, you can't just go around saying, oh, yeah, but nobody knew all the things that okay. they know now. Absolutely. It's rubbish. Do it. Get this one out the way. Then, if we're allowed, which mm. is another thing, to have an independent referendum, that's... Fine, do yeah, that, but, but then think... respect the result of that. Otherwise, there, if we have that uh, referendum and people don't like the result because Scotland wants to leave, they're just going to take us to court, aren't they? Well, I mean, that seems to be the way forward now. But, I mean, I was watching just the other night on Channel 4, they've got a little politics spot after Channel 4 News, and they had this uh, SNP MP in Edinburgh doing a little sort of voiceover of a piece, right? And she was interviewing loads of people about whether they wanted to stay in the European Union. And they were all European kids. Now, look, I, I know that mm -hmm. Edinburgh is a very cosmopolitan place and I don't have a problem with people living there from Europe, of course. <laughs> they were all from Germany, were they? No, but, I mean, they were, all, they were all saying, oh, yeah, definitely we want to stay in the European Union. You, yeah. you would say that. But she's also born in Australia, right? Now, I, as a Scot living mm. in London, my parents were both Scottish. I was born in London, but I could still play for Scotland if they, were, you know, wanted yeah, to Yeah, that'd be good life. You'd probably do better than, well, than what we're doing Well, you never know. But the point is, I don't get a say. You know, I don't get a say in the future of the country, which is ostensibly... Oh, how far my... do you go back? I mean, it's one come generation. On to the Romans, you know. Well, it's one generation. At the end of the day, the parameters were set for the last election, uh, for the referendum, and we lost. What you know, I'm but... saying to you, and you should actually take this on board, right, because if you got the English to vote for uh, Scottish independence, <laughs> they they'd all vote out. for it. You'd all be gone. Listen, if it was my country, I would. <laughs> well, that's the point. So, so, but you, so you, you're unusual, though, because you want to have, yeah. you want to have independence, but you don't no, want to be in the EU. No, I want democracy respected, because I don't believe that we can have a referendum uh, and then ignore it, and then expect Scotland to have a referendum and, and expect that to be, you know, uh, uh, go through. Mm. I just think that's wrong. Right. You know, it's just a a mess. Now, Matthew yeah. Wright and Kevin O'Sullivan, two other mates of mine who come on after this show, apparently they're doing their show from Glasgow on Monday. I don't know why they're doing that, but... Uh, <laughs> Is it open? Have you got any advice for them? <laughs> well, take an anorak. Yes. yes uh, a, wee, a wee scarf. Right. Uh -huh. They can pop in and see me if they, they wish yeah, to. Yeah, I don't know where, you know, I don't know where I, they're I, doing I, it from. I'm, I'm just off uh, West George Street, on West George Street. Yeah, and in fact, you've been moaning about that, haven't you? Because um, yes. Sucky Hall Street now has become a pedestrian precinct. Well, that's further up the road and the, the what was meant to be the music mail has became just yeah. a, it was a, fun, a long period after the art school fire right. churned up you couldn't have they sorted that out it. yet the art school fire oh no no that's 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 they've made the street accessible to pedestrians and most of the traffic mm. but that is uh that's going to go on for years a blame game in right. that one it and, really uh, is now, the bucket was now we've disgrace. got i'm told cool my mind by stephanie cheap so yeah. should we have a little listen to it yeah why not let's have a listen And she's from Glasgow, right? Is she? No, she's from Hamilton. Oh, Hamilton? <laughs> Outside of Glasgow. The, the famous Hamilton, as in the Hamilton Academicals. The Hamiyakis, aye. And that famous building that looks like the UN. 
Well, that, and you know, I think it's the council building. It is. It? No, it is. <laughs> now, let me ask you to something else, because over, over the whole Brexit thing, people have been saying, you know, if you're in a band and you're touring, mm. um, it could be a problem if we leave the European Union. But these are the same people who mm. said that we're going to run out of toilet paper, that we're going to run out of all sorts of uh, uh, other interesting things that we won't no longer be able to get. I don't believe that you're going to have trouble touring just because you're not Well, there the is European going to be Union. problems, They're definitely, because, the, 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 because artists have to fill in carny forms and that tell it the Europeans what gear is coming over yeah. what equipment they're moving and similarly the other way and uh, they don't the tell moment, them about all the gear they're bringing do well, they? well maybe I, I don't know about that no <laughs> of course not <laughs> I'm sure they get it over there I'm sure but it's going to be uh, um, add on a lot of uh, undue uh, unnecessary I think um, form filling and it's going to start costing because they'll start ramping up the right. cost for filling these okay. forms in so it's going to make it more difficult but um, that's up to Gove and all that to sort it out and if they can sort it out quickly then the pain shouldn't be for too yeah. long but um uh, it ain't good that way. I think music you, music has no boundaries. It shouldn't, it shouldn't have. have it know. really shouldn't. But then it might well be that some of these countries shouldn't have quite so many regulations either. Well, uh, I mean, I think we run the worst. <laughs> well, well, you can tell me that. <laughs> or France. France will be So what about yeah. McLeod Enterprises in the next sort of year? Enterprises. What, what, is, what is happening? Are you expanding? Are you getting, well, we're you looking at a couple of restaurants, didn't you? Yeah, the seven, eight clubs, two restaurants, and then uh, Gordon Brown and Alistair Darling came along and the RBS and mucked it all up. Oh, and, dear. Uh, oh, dear. And I think as they did for a lot of people, yeah. but I'm quite happy where I am at the moment, two of the most successful clubs in the world, and uh, looking as we always do, possibly another couple mm. of ventures, one um, I can't say, it's very, okay. it's very good it's all right. We haven't got that. Many another listeners. another world famous venue. Okay. Well, you're looking very well on it. I have to say, oh, for a man you. that doesn't go to bed before six a.m. every night, <laughs> peeping slumbers. Obviously, yeah. It's obviously, it's obviously you. Well, so I will be. I'll be drinking this later. I'll be seeing you later as yes, well. Yes, I hope so. Secret location. Uh, if my car ever arrives, but well, that's another story which I'm not going to get into yet. Donald McLeod, thank you very much. Donald Cameron McLeod, the Clan McLeod. McLeod. Love to be here. See you thank later. You. Now, listen, here's what I'm going to tell you about. Yesterday, you may remember, uh, we were due to get James Whale on this show to talk about baldness because he is the most famous bald man at Talk Radio. He, of course, uh, agreed to do so, having uh, told our producer, Con, that he would be willing to come on. Uh, he then didn't come on, uh, claiming that uh, he didn't get a phone call. Now, last night, I got a phone call, unexpectedly, from Mr Whale. But, of course, he didn't inform me before he called me that, in fact, he was going to put me straight to air which, technically speaking, is an offence. So let's have a listen to this. Phone Mike Graham now. Just about, Don't call him before, just phone him and, and give him straight to me. Let's see if he's around. He's probably in the pub. And if any of you have warned him I'm going to do this, there'll be trouble later. Hello? 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 Why do you keep saying hello? I'm just saying hello back. Have they warned you that I was going to ring you? Who's this? You know perfectly well who this is. No, I have no idea who it is. Who is it? Well, why did you say hello when I said hello in a funny voice? Well, when the phone rings, normally that's what you do. You say hello. Why don't you just say no? Well, because on those occasions, I don't answer it. Oh, I see. What, you mean like earlier on today? <laughs> see, I knew exactly you knew who it was. And if I find one of these have well, actually... Well, I now, because, I mean, I have a lot of nuisance <clears throat> phone calls, as you can imagine. A lot of people don't like me because I'm so successful that my show is doing so well that more and more people dislike me. You know what that's like, James. You used to have a successful show. <laughs>
Anyway, it kept me on the phone for ages, right? There's, about, there's, uh, there's half an hour or so of it, which I'm going to try and uh, have uh, somebody put onto YouTube. Uh, because he kept trying to rile me, he kept trying to sort of insult me, kept trying to sort of make out that I was somehow a lesser broadcaster than him. I've got a great deal of respect for James Whale. He used to be a terrific broadcaster, you know, in his heyday. But the thing is, he's, you know, not quite as good as he used to be, is he? Let's face it. But that's all right. He's welcome to come back on the show any time if he's willing to talk about the old baldness problem that he seems to have suffered from over the years. So uh, I wait to hear from Mr Whale uh, for the next instalment of uh, Whale versus Graham. Let's talk to Rob, who's in Battersea. Hello, Rob. Good afternoon, Mike. Good afternoon. Yeah, just a little quick, yeah, quick one uh, to let you know. I had the same problem from James Whale. Did you? I sent, uh, yeah, at the time he was very, very pro-Remain, as you probably know, I'm quite well, I mean, pro-Brexit. One of the things I said to him last night was, you know, the trouble with you, James, is you keep changing your mind. He keeps going from being well, pro-Remain to now being pro-Leave to the other night saying uh, he thought we maybe should just leave it all alone because it's too difficult. He's not much different to Jeremy Corbyn. He's actually nailed to the top of the fence. He doesn't really know which way to jump. Well, I well I sent a text in saying, well, look, if you love Europe so much, why don't you go out there and live out there, you mm. know? And, um, yeah, in fact, it's on his promo. This man needs to be brought to account. Get his own phone number. Phone him up, and they phone me up. But the producer phoned me first, you know, through the producer. Oh, yeah. so, I, well, uh, see, I, I didn't get that. I, was, I, didn't, I didn't get the warning phone call. I, my phone just rang. Luckily, I happened to be at home, and I answered it. Yeah. I know it, and I've kept you off guard, didn't it, you know? But I still had all my ducks in a row and gave him, you know, as good as I got. And, uh, it, in fact, it was a week after he actually changed his mind because he says that he doesn't like the way that Europe's treating us. But uh, I think he's, he's just needed a little shove off the top of that fence, the same as uh, Corbyn. Do you think does. he's a bit confused? I think he's always been a bit confused, hasn't he? <laughs> whether to do radio, whether to do television. I mean, it used to be good when he'd done television. Now he's struggling a little bit with the uh, YouTube with only, what, 200? Oh, I don't uh, think you should be unkind to James. He's, he's doing very well for an elderly elderly <laughs> yes. gentleman. He's doing just fine. I, I, I always listen, yeah. He's great entertainment. Yes, no, he is. He's terrific. He's on tonight at 7 o'clock, I think, as well. So, uh, Rob, thanks very much indeed. Uh, Rob there in Battersea. Uh, lots more of you uh, to talk to, of course. Lots more of you want to get on between now uh, and 1 o'clock when Matthew Wright's going to be here with Kevin O'Sullivan. 0344 499 1000. Don't forget, uh, you can, of course, tweet us at Talk Radio uh, and you can text us as well uh, to 87222. Uh, text across your 25p uh, plus your standard network rate. Joanne says, yes, I remember Whale back in the days of the original Talk Radio. Uh, I've never listened to him recently. He's a boring has-been. That's very harsh. I'm not having that, Joanne. I don't want those kinds of uh, texts and tweets written to me because uh, that's very unfair. All he had to do was come on and talk about his baldness. That would have been fine, wouldn't it? But then, I guess he was busy. He said he was in the pub, which is uh, quite surprising. If you like pina coladas Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm delighted to say, and I didn't know this until uh, earlier on today, actually, that it is, in fact, uh, London Cocktail Week. And so to celebrate London Cocktail Week, we have a special guest uh, who is here with us, and his name will sound very familiar to all of you who like a drink out there. Uh, his name is Alfred Quantro, and uh, he is, of course, the sixth generation uh, of the Quantro family. Alfred, uh, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. 
Hello, Mike. How Thank are you? you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I'm, fascinated. I'm fascinated by uh, your, your job, basically, because you've been in the family <laughs> business since uh, 2010. Exactly. You travel the world. Uh, basically making cocktails, meeting mixologists, meeting bartenders. Exactly. It's fantastic, isn't it? Making cocktails, but uh, also tasting cocktails. And tasting them as well. <laughs> I mean, Cointreau is one of those things that I think a lot of people um, like to drink, but with something else, if you know what I mean. I mean, I quite like to drink Cointreau on its own, yeah. to be honest. What? I discovered Cointreau when I was about 16, okay. very many years ago. Right. <laughs> and you keep it. Yes, good. of course. I've always got a bottle of Cointreau in the, in the cupboard. I don't drink it... An awful lot, but it's a staple in an awful lot of cocktails, isn't mm -hmm. it? Uh, what we say is Cointreau is versatile, yeah. so you can appreciate it neat on ice, more uh, as a digestive. I like it on ice, actually. It's nice. You can uh, make a lot of cocktails with Cointreau. You have yeah. more than 350 classic cocktail recipes created with Cointreau. Uh -huh. And also you can cook with Cointreau, so you have so many ways to appreciate yes. it. Yes, and Cointreau, the family, is interesting as well. They were set up this whole thing in about 1849 exactly. in France in a distillery, but it, your family originally originally were bakers, I understand. Exactly. We created another specialty of France. We created La Baguette. Okay. No, I'm kidding. We didn't create La Baguette. <laughs> See, I would have bought that. I would have believed you. After we became confectioner, yeah. and in 1849, with a dream of two brothers, we became distillateur licorice. Mm. And, and why the orange flavour? Because was it particular? Because you would think in, in, if you think about oranges, you think about yeah. Spain more, or you yeah, think exactly. about Seville, right? That's why. In the 19th century, the orange was considered as a rare and exotic fruit. Mm. So the second generation of the family, my great-great-grandfather, Edouard, wanted to create a rare and exotic liqueurs. So he travelled all around the world. Uh, through Spain, Africa, and uh, South America, and he brought with with him sweet and bitter orange peels. Okay, not the fruit, really the peels, because in inside the peels you have uh, the essence, the soul of the orange. So after ten years of research, uh, he perfected uh, the right balance between sweet and bitter orange peels, and that was uh, Cointreau's uh, orange liqueur recipe was born. So it's more about the peel than it is about exactly. the actual fruit. And it's more about yes, the fruit itself, uh, the, enfin, the, um, the connection to this fruit, the golden fruit, if yeah. you want. For example, my grandmother, I remember, she gave us for Christmas the orange, this fruit, because it's rare yeah. and exotic. Today, it's quite easy to find uh, through the years oranges, but in this previously, it was more difficult. Right. It's interesting because in this country, of course, oranges mean to a lot of people something like marmalade. You know? Yeah, so exactly. They made, so you made Cointreau, we made marmalade. Exactly. So there's and, something wrong with that. And that's the beauty of Cointreau is everybody uh, already know uh, more or less the orange, have a connection through their cultures. And with Cointreau, they can appreciate it on a different way. And they can use Cointreau on a mix, play with Cointreau, if I can say, on different ways. So uh, could be in a cocktail, could be in a food, could be uh, as a shot, for example, as ever, as ever you want. And a part of my job, as you say, is to travel all around the world, mm. meet, meeting people who work in the spirit industry, meeting bartenders as well. And it's very impressive to see how they play with this iconic bottle, with uh, this... Uh, with the same recipe inside and how they appropriate them. Okay. And what about the... Uh, you've got some cocktail mixers there. You've got some cocktail shakers, a exactly. bottle of Cointreau. What are you going to make for us today? I bought my tea and my uh, cocktail tools. Okay. So uh, I want. To, I would like to share with you an iconic cocktail made in 1948 okay. by Margaret Sames, the Margarita. All right. So the Margarita is a delightful, delightful cocktail with uh, 50... No, 30 mil. Surrey of uh, of Cointreau. Yeah. 
And usually some tequila as well, right? Of course. C'est un unusual for me to drink tequila this early in the day, but you yeah. know, I'll give it a go. <laughs> Alors, uh, tips for people who like to cook or who like to drink. Uh, when you try a new recipe, the best timing for the day, the best hour of the day to taste it, is around 11 a.m. Okay. Okay. Because at this time, your nose and your mouth are the more open mm. to detect flavors. Okay, and you recommend having just one then, presumably, then? Otherwise, yeah. you're going to lose uh, the rest of the just, day. Just a few sips or just smell it. Okay. It's, um, right. it's, uh, it's like they say about champagne, is to be drunk in the morning is the best time. You can. You that depends on your mood, that depends on what you did the day before, yeah. so yeah. Mm, okay, so um, you've got this uh, a Cointreau on ice, have you, I think? Yeah. And uh, you're going to mix it up now? Okay. Are you? So, 30 ml of Cointreau, 50 ml of tequila. Yeah. Okay. And a fresh lime juice, freshly squeezed. Very nice. So, 20 ml of um, fresh lime juice. When you mix a cocktail, please use natural ingredients, mm. not sour mix You don't want like to that. use that, that lime juice? Exactly. No. I remember when I learned the Cointreau recipe, it was eight years ago. I was mm. with my grandfather. And my grandfather told me, OK, Alfred, it's time for you to know the Cointreau recipe. Yes. As you can imagine, I was really excited. And he started to explain me everything about the sourcing of the water, the alcohol, the sugar and the sweet and bitter orange peels. And at the end, I asked him, mm. what is the secret? What is the secret ingredient in Cointreau? And my grandfather told me, what did you expect, Alfred? That we put uh, chemical products, uh, fake flavors? He told me, no. The recipe of Cointreau is to source four ingredients and four ingredients 100% natural. Mm, okay. So that is really, really important. So when you mix your cocktail at home or in your bar, please use natural ingredients as well. Okay. And, and like a lot of brands, they kind of branch out, don't they? They do like if, if you were, say, for example, maybe a, a, a gin, there yeah. are now lots of different flavors of gins. I mean, yeah. presumably Cointreau, you just keep it as the original. Exactly. You don't change it. You don't suddenly go... Oh, let's make a lemon flavored no. Cointreau. And that is a challenge for, uh, for Cointreau. It's to yeah. keep the consistency. Yes. Since the beginning, we want to keep, uh, we want to preserve the authenticity. So that is a job of the master distiller. Today, it's, uh, she's the second woman as a master distiller, Carol Carton. And her job is to travel through Spain, Africa, and South America to meet uh, the um, orange producer. Orange's producer and to select the best orange peels to make sure she can replicate exactly the same recipe. Yeah, okay. Which is fascinating. And how, I mean, you may not know the answer to this, but how many bottles of Cointreau would you say are produced every single year? We produce, when, we produ we produce when we have a demand. Uh -huh. So the more bottle you open and the more bottle okay. you finish, the more um, job we have uh, at, the, at the distillery in Angers. Mm. Uh, after, if I remember well, last year it was more or less 12 million bottles. Okay. After, the only thing with Cointreau is we are limited at one distillation per day. Right. Because we have to put the orange peel, the alcohol, and the water the day before the distillation. Okay. We have to leave, leave them over the night, and the morning after we can start to heat the pot still okay. to start the distillation. So, so it's still quite an, an old-fashioned method, really, in a way. Ah, yeah, exactly. It's mm. a, You do not have a computer or anything to uh, manage, right. if I can say, the pot still. Still, the, the hand of the human, the hand of the master distiller, manage the pot still. So it's really okay. traditional. So we are limited at one distillation per day, and today we do not distill uh, every day of the, of the okay. year, so we can do more. Well, I'm ready to drink something now, so um, uh, if you uh, don't mind mixing it up for me. Exactly. Alors, that would be lovely. I remove the water to keep just the ice inside. 
It's a great sound, though, isn't it? Yes. It's a lovely sound. So a little bit for the shaker and the rest in the glass because I prefer the margarita or nice, especially on the morning. Easiest to drink. I think that's what I'm going to tell the boss, you know. I had my margarita on ice this morning, <laughs> so, you know, don't worry. Great. So uh, my grandmother was for me a little bit like the teacher of uh -huh. cocktail. And she touched me one thing, so you can see it at the radio. But when you check, always check with a smile. With a smile, it's true. It looks a lot better, actually. <laughs> it's true, because when you go to a bar and, and the bartender is miserable, exactly. you don't want to be you there. Want, you know, I mean, if he's not happy doing the job, you yeah. really don't want to drink there, you know. So the, and that is really something very, very important to have a happy face on yes. the bartender and to have an interaction with mm. the bartender. What I like to do is to go uh, just after the opening when the bar is not too, too much busy. Mm. And uh, when the bartender gives to me the cocktail menu, I do not read it. I speak with the bartender and I want that he makes a cocktail just for me. Yes, you know? right. And that is, uh, in general, they are really, really good. Mm. So I uh, checked our four ingredients, three ingredients, sorry. Cointreau tequila and uh, lime. Okay. And now I stir it through the glass. Looks very nice. It looks the right color. Exactly. Et voilà. Because so, no. the whole thing about co drinking cocktails is, is the experience of it, isn't it? You exactly. Watch, you watch it being made, you yeah. savor it. Mm -hmm. You know, London Cocktail Week is, is quite big now, isn't it? Exactly. What's, uh, what's happening, you know, from now until, is it the weekend, I think, right? Say, we started the fourth and it's until uh, Sunday. Okay. Uh, so you have a, a village at Shoreditch with a lot of brands who have a stand making activation. You say everything is about experience or so a ritual of service, new cocktails recipe, new experiences. And uh, through the bars as well, you can have different activation. For example, yesterday I was um, in uh, behind the bar of Sketch. Okay. A really, really nice uh, party, really fun party. And tonight I am between 6 and 9 p.m. behind the Kensington Hotel bars. So if you want to go to see me in action, if okay. I can say, do, do, do not hesitate we'll, we to come. We will do that. Okay, and uh, should we taste? Of course. Is it ready? Santé. So I let you. Thank you very much. I'll take just it first. I'll give it a little sip first. And what's your view of straws about uh, drinking? Oh uh, yeah, you have a big debate about straws, mm. about using plastic mm. in. Oh, that's uh, lovely. That of is lovely. It's lovely. Beautiful. <laughs> so yeah, you have a big debate mm. about straws and plastic uh, behind a bar, especially. So I really like to go straight to the to the glass. I don't I don't want to have any. Um, I'm not a fan of straws, and I yeah, really don't neither. like. I don't like paper straws. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm quite happy if you, if, they, if you don't want to yeah. have plastic straws, that's fine. But yeah, I don't, exactly. the paper straws are terrible. They just yeah. disintegrate. You know. So after you have metal straw, glass straws, straws by made with straws. After you have some people who are really uh, sensitive with the teeth, yeah. so they prefer to get a straw. It's really here again a question of uh, taste, a question of how you prefer to appreciate your cocktail. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. Well, Alfred, thank you very much for, for coming in. Thanks um, for the invitation, Mike. Lots we really of appreciate. places for people to go and drink Cointreau. Uh, it Great. should be inspired now to go and yeah. buy a bottle of Cointreau. So, yeah, and uh, so everybody knows a bottle of Cointreau. A lot of people know one or more cocktail with Cointreau, but the best way to understand, to feel Cointreau, if I can say, it's to go to Angers. Okay. Uh, it's on the west side of France, in the Loire Valley. Can you tour around the, uh, the, the factory? And exactly. Yeah. It's a distillery, not distillery, a factory. Right, my apologies. You have a factory for a car or for shoes, for right. example. It's a distillery a for distillery. Well, it so sounds yes, good. The distillery is open for the visitors. So okay. Do not hesitate to make it. Next time I'm over there, I should go and have a look. Do not hesitate. Alfred Quantra, thank you very much indeed. Uh, happy uh, London Cocktail Week. I'm going to continue with my margarita uh, while you listen to the road uh, traffic report. <laughs> this is Talk Radio.